0: You are Locked On NFL,
1: your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: It is the Wednesday edition of the NFL Locked On show with Tony Wiggins and James Rapine. Two different parts of the country, but the same idea for what an NFL show is all about. We're going to hit it fast and hit it quick. What's up, James?
3: What's going on, Tony? Good to be here, my man.
2: I know it's good to be here. It's good to get it on. Thanks to Peacock and Williamson and everybody at Locked On NFL uh, for setting up this format and allowing us to be able to get this in. So I'm not going to bury the lead, man. I'm going to get to it, and I'm going to hit it real quick real quick, and real fast. I want to talk about quarterbacks in the NFL. We always wonder whether or not the quarterback play, once the old legends, Breeze, Rodgers, Brady, once those guys start getting old, what's going to happen? I think the quarterbacks now, the young guys, we're in a real, real good spot, man. When you look, and they're not even young anymore. When you look at guys like, Russell Wilson, but even younger than that, man. You look and you got Patrick Mahomes, who's the reigning MVP, Super Bowl MVP. Well, he's not the reigning MVP. That's Lamar Jackson. But he was MVP two years ago, and then you got Lamar Jackson, and then Mahomes has already won a Super Bowl, and now you got some young guys this year. It's a good-looking young class of quarterbacks to go along with those older guys, and I think that's going to tell the story, James, for what's going to happen this season.
3: There's no doubt about it that that this. This time in this day and age, and maybe it's because of the quarterback training that, you know, high schoolers are going through, but I can't remember a time where there's been this many quarterbacks, whether it is the, you know, the old guard, the Tom Brady's and the Drew Brees is hanging on and playing longer. And that certainly has something to do with it. But all of these young guys, and you mentioned some of them, but from Kyler Murray to, you know, Joe Burrow, people are excited about him, Baker Mayfield. I I mean, there are so many guys across the NFL that teams think they have their guy, right? You know, I, and, and that's, that's a, a really good spot for the league to be in. I mean, uh, let's look at the, the state of Texas, right? Dak Prescott, he's going to get paid at some point, whether it's the Cowboys or someone else. He's a starter for the next decade. Deshaun Watson just got paid. We know what Patrick Mahomes is. Y- you said MVP, thinking it was Mahomes, because everyone assumes right. he's the best in the league and Super Bowl MVP, Lamar Jackson happens to be that that MVP so there's just so many guys in Russell Wilson's the really the number two in my mind best, second best quarterback in the league I love his game but wh- whether you look at young old in the middle the league has something to offer and I think about five years ago we were really concerned what was going to happen Peyton had just retired Eli was getting on the back end Philip Rivers was getting on the back end you're really starting to question all right who's going to Who's going to take the uh, the baton here for Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And you're starting to not only see that because that was Russell Wilson and some of those guys, but you're seeing a second level to it. And it's uh, I'm excited, Tony, because we get to watch these guys. Week one is here and it feels like uh feels like Christmas in September because we're going to get football this year.
2: It does feel like Christmas. I tell you what, you mentioned five years ago. If I told you Andrew Luck was going to prematurely re- retire, the NFL would have gone crazy, man. They would have sat there mm-hmm. and gone like, what are we going to do? And And we haven't even mentioned this. They say the kid at Clemson, that's coming out next year is going to be the highest-ranked highest recruit or a highest-ranked quarterback since John Elway all the way back in the 80s. So the quarterback position, which is, which is the quintessential position, the most protected position, the most important position, really has the National Football League in a real, real good spot as we move forward. Now, uh, we, we're reviewing all of these positions. The quarterback, I mean, the NFL gods have really shined on us. They put Tom Brady and Drew Brees in the same division. It's, there's a lot of things to look forward to this year. That is going to be one of those things. I know there's no fans in the in the arenas, but boy, fighting to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC South is going to be fun watching those two dudes do battle in the AFC South to see who has the right to go to the Super Bowl in the, in the, in the NFC. It, it,
3: it's going to be nuts. It, it's going to be nuts because there are so many teams, and not just the South. In the NFC, it is loaded. I mean, there are, I could see the Eagles making a run. Everyone thinks the Cowboys are going to make a run every year. And while I don't buy it this year, even though they they should be a really good team, you got to put them in the mix. The NFC West is completely loaded, right? Arguably the best division in the NFL. And you're absolutely right about the NFC South. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and then you forget about Atlanta. And I, I get it. A lot of people are assuming Carolina is going to be bad. But Teddy Bridgewater's no slouch. And, and that team is just, they're not going there. Matt Rule didn't go there to just lose a bunch of games. So I think they'll be competitive. I don't know how much they'll win, but I think they're going to compete week in and week out. So there's going to be a lot of good matchups. And I love that we're getting Tom Brady and Drew Brees week one, because I don't know how these guys are going to age this year. I don't know how their arms are going to be in November and December. I want to see them now when they're at their best, when Freeze gets the ball down seven and you know, you know, with three minutes to go and you know, he's going to go score. And Brady's got to figure out if one minute's enough to at least get into field goal range. That's the type of matchup I want to see. And I hope fans get it this weekend.
2: Speaking of Brady, we can't, we can't do this without mentioning his former team, the Patriots. Everyone wants to know if it's Belichick. Was it Belichick? Was it Brady? I think when you win multiple championships and you have that type of excellence, it's both. That's why you win so many. It wasn't one. It wasn't the other. Well, now Belichick has a new toy in Cam Newton. And it's this big love fest coming out of New England. And all of a sudden, everybody's going, well, wait a minute. Is he throwing shots at Tom? I don't think so. I think he what he's doing is he, he's just embracing this new thing with Cam. And he's embracing Cam's personality. It's kind of fun to watch Bill Belichick loosen up a little bit and accept and embrace a different type of player that Cam Newton is. And I wouldn't be shocked if New England's right back in the thick of things come the end of the season.
3: I agree with you on Cam. I think Cam could have – if he stays healthy, he's going to have a bounce back year. But I'll tell you what Belichick's doing. Belichick is evolving because he's known as this hard-nosed, tough coach – where guys like Reggie Wayne went at the end of their career and said, heck no, and they retired after camp and yes. said they were done because it's such a tough place to play. And you can get by doing that when you're a leader, when your future Hall of Fame quarterback with a bunch of rings is right by your side. But when you need to get young guys to buy in and you don't have a guy like Tom Brady who can influence a 21-year-old, you got to evolve and you got to show the rest of the league that you're cool. And that you can be fun and that you, it's not hell to play in Foxborough without Tom Brady. And I think that's what he's doing. I mean, we've seen him do interviews, national interviews. When's the last time Bill Belichick ever did an interview and went out of his way right. to do that. That's not the Patriot way. And that's certainly not Belichick's way. So I totally agree. It's one, you bring in cam, a guy that players respect across the league. They, I mean, they love him. I, I I've seen multiple players on, on a bunch of different teams talk about, how Cam was really just such a deal at at the rate he was going in. They were shocked that he signed for so little. And and not only do you bring him in and embrace him, but you're openly talking about him and praising him and, and kind of showing another side of yourself. I think this is smart by Belichick because the last thing you want people to think of you as, as an old guy, has been that isn't going to evolve. And I think he's kind of trying to change that perception of him a bit as he goes into this next phase of his coaching career.
2: We can't go any further without mentioning this. The NBA has the bubble. The NFL doesn't have the bubble. They just have protocols and guys being responsible. I have to give credit to the players. I did expect without the bubble being that security measure, these guys would be a little bit more reckless and getting themselves in trouble the way we saw in baseball. That hasn't happened. With the reporting that's been going on, these guys really have been taking this seriously, and I think somebody needs to say, good job.
3: One hundred percent. I was extremely worried about that because, look, it's it's hard to tell a 22 year old who just got paid a bunch of money or a 24, 25 year old who just signed an extension. And there have been a ton that, that have done that over the past couple of weeks and months. Hey, don't go out to eat. Don't eat inside restaurants. You, you, eat on patios if you can. You know, it, it's it's hard to do that. Avoid the clubs on Saturdays. That's tough to do, especially when he's probably looking around saying, and, you know, no one's really getting that sick from this. But I think the key is the coach is really driving it home and the veterans in these locker rooms. Hey, to to be good to the team and not betray your teammates, you got to try to stay as safe as possible. That doesn't mean not going out to eat, but wear a mask and, and you know, try to distance yourself from people, doing things like that. And it, it's been great. I think one player uh, last week, I, in, in the week of what, the 29th through the 5th, over 26,000 tests, or 27,000 tests were, were taken for COVID-19 among the players and one tested positive for COVID-19. So it's a, a great job, and I hope players can have the discipline. It's a tough ask, but have the discipline throughout the season to, to continue to do this because if they can, then we should see a pretty intact year where key guys aren't being lost due to COVID-19, which is really my concern at this moment. The last thing you want is the day before a game, five or six key guys on a team going down and being placed on the reserve list.
2: No doubt about it, man. We're going to do this every Wednesday here on Locked On NFL. James Rapine, Tony Wiggins. i tell you what we're going to do, James. Let's go through the uh, NFC North and the AFC North and talk to some of our friends and get some uh, preview, even check in and find out what they think the record's going to be. So let's give that to the fans.
3: I can't wait to get to that. And I can't wait to watch NFL games. And I'm going to do so this season With NFL Game Pass, you can get football on your time all season long with Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and see all of the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long you also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like the Sean Wattons, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to nfl.com gamepass Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops.
2: All right, we're going up north and uh, running through the NFC North with the team that I suspect is going to be probably picked to win it all. And talking to Peter Bukowski, this is Tony Wiggins and James Rapine. Talking to Peter Bukowski, who covers the Green Bay Packers with Locked On Packers. How you doing, Pete?
4: I'm good, guys. How are you?
2: Uh, we're doing fine, man. So it's Aaron Rodgers. They did get him a whole bunch of help in the draft, but – Aaron Rodgers doesn't need a whole bunch of help, had a really good season, and people actually act like he had a bad season. But I don't know how you throw 26 touchdowns and only four picks and you didn't have a good year.
4: Well, I mean, I think if you look at some of the underlying numbers, you know, whether you subscribe to the pro football focus grades or not is, is going to be up to you. But some of the accuracy numbers are down a little bit, and, and he relied a lot on big plays last year. But to your point, he's still Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, when you look at Mike Sando at The Athletic does a, a tiered ranking every year of all of the quarterbacks. And it's not his ranking. It is uh, the NFL's ranking. He talks to all of the uh, executives and coaches, and and they're the ones that come up with these rankings. Aaron Rodgers was still in that tier one, was was I think the number three quarterback in the league. So th- this team is, doesn't need him the same way they used to. Uh, because they have some defensive players now that can make plays. They have a run game. They've got Devontae Adams. But their ceiling is still going to be dictated by how well Aaron Rodgers plays.
3: Peter, how surprised were you? And it's been really the talk of the offseason anytime the, the Packers comes up. How surprised were you that they moved up and drafted Jordan Love in the first round?
4: Oh, I assume this was going to be a Josiah DeGuara question, I guess, with Jordan Love. <laughs> um, I, I, I would say this. I was – Surprised but not shocked, if that makes sense. Because when you look at all of the things that the Packers said in the, in the lead-up to the draft and in their postseason press conferences, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gudekinst each said they would be willing to draft a quarterback if the right guy were available. And that's something that everyone likes to think their team would say and, and do, but it, they just wouldn't. And the Packers have done this before. They did it with Aaron Rodgers. And even when they had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, they drafted Brian Brom because they thought he was the best player and and the quarterback position is so important. So from that standpoint, from a value standpoint, you understand. And then when you read, you go back in, in hindsight and you read, okay, Matt LaFleur said this about the quarterback position, what he's looking for and what his expectations are from whatever that potential player could be. And it reads like a Jordan Love scouting report, at least the strengths part of it. So the not only was it in retrospect to me, not surprising they decided to draft a quarterback, but not surprising that Jordan Love specifically was the guy that they picked.
2: With Adam Jones, that's a very good point. With Adam Jones being the epitome of this air back that everyone, uh, covet so much was it a shock to you that they drafted aj Dillon in the second round because he's basically the type of running back albeit that derrick henry had his success in tennessee but i'm in jacksonville everyone's acting like they want to get away from these big power john riggins type running backs were you shocked a little bit too with their second round picking aj Dillon?
4: That was the pick that was the real head-scratcher to me. I mean, I think you can justify Aaron Rodgers is getting up there in age. you know, going to be 37 this year. Clearly, the skills have diminished to some degree. And Matt LaFleur built up enough equity to say, I have a long-term vision for this team, and so we're going to take the quarterback. It's the running back in the second round. I don't understand the value there. And I was higher on A.J. Dillon than a lot of people heading up to the draft, but I thought he was like a third-round pick. Not a second-round pick, especially when there were other guys on the board that I thought just from a positional value standpoint made more sense. Take Brian Edwards, who's been a star for the Raiders. Take Josh Jones, who I thought was one of the 15 best players in this whole class at right tackle. Uh, Draft a cornerback if there was one there that you like. Just from a positional value standpoint, I don't understand – uh, why you go running back there, especially guys? When we have the reports this week that the Packers are in talks with Aaron Jones' agent to sign an extension. If you're you're drafting a running back in the second round, presumably it's to be your lead back. Why are you extending Aaron Jones and drafting a running back in the second round? That's that was the one where I just went, wait, what? what? I, I'm
3: I'm with you, and I, I think it was surprising that they that they didn't attack wide receiver on day two at all. Right. And, and try to get Rogers some more targets. We didn't get to talk about the defense, Peter, but just overall, what do you think about this Packers team and, and where do you have them finishing in the North this year?
4: Yeah. Just one little bit on the receiver part. They they were victims of some bad luck as well. I mean, 400 receivers went before the 62nd pick. <laughs> um, and, and so that put them in a, in a disadvantageous position. So uh, that, I, I think that just is, is important to note. But um, from, from a, a looking forward perspective here, I think the Packers are in that sort of 10-win range. I mean, they're, they're over under in Vegas is 8.5. For some reason, it's gone down a full game since the draft when it was 9.5, I believe. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think they're a 10-win team. I think with no fans, you know, a game like in New Orleans becomes a lot, more winnable a game in san francisco becomes a lot more winnable in tampa bay so and and even week one you look at week one in minnesota u.s bank stadium you know you're you leave your with your ears ringing if you play an hour at at u.s bank stadium much less three so you know i i like where they are this season i think the the continuity is going to be crucial for them they're they're one of the most uh, stable organizations right now in the league. And, and I think that's going to pay dividends for them. I think they're the NFC North champ. I think they're the third, at least if I'm going to project, I don't think they have the ceiling to be the third best team. I think other teams have, have higher ceilings in the NFC, but I think if I were going to predict who the third best team is in the NFL, I think, or in the NFC, excuse me, I think they're the surest bet there. That's, that's where I'm projecting them this season.
3: Big year for Josiah Deguara, right? I'm a Bearcat, so I I
2: know all about (laughs) Deguara.
4: Deguara is going to surprise some people. I I think that was a name that everyone sort of scratched their head at just because they didn't know who he was, played at Cincinnati. But he's going to have a real role. They're going to play him in the slot. They're going to play him at H-back. They're going to play him in the backfield. He's going to be that sort of Kyle Juszczyk, for Matt Lafleur, and and I think you know the guy that I've been comparing him to, if if fans are old enough to remember Chris Cooley in Washington, that wasn't that long ago, but he's the guy that I, I that I think they like they'd like Deguara to be, and and that guy, if he's that guy in a year or two, that guy's a really useful player.
2: Yeah. Sounds like it. Chris Cooley, I grew up a Redskins fan or a Washington football team fan. And Chris Cooley was definitely, definitely one of those guys that is a fan favorite and he's very memorable and will make a lot of plays. Peter, as always, man, great times. Uh, And I'm sure we'll hear from you more this year, uh, covering a a really good team and a really great fan base up in Green Bay. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Peter Bacasa, Green Bay Packers, Locked On Packers.
3: Let's keep things rolling here on Locked On NFL with a trip to Minnesota and get the latest on the Vikings with Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings. Luke, uh, a ton to discuss for sure when it comes to Minnesota. Let's start with the signal caller. Uh, Kirk Cousins gets a, uh, an extension this offseason. I was surprised to see that, to be honest, were you?
5: Uh, no, I wasn't very surprised. It was pretty clear that after the year he had in 2019, um, that that was going to be all it took for them to try to extend him. Also, the extension wasn't, you know, a big, it's not going to be the same. It's not the same extension that you saw like Deshaun Watson get the other day, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, what like Patrick Mahomes got or anything like that. It, it, it was a cap clearing move for 2020 as well. Uh, they converted all of his 2020 salary to signing bonus is part of that extension which helped clear a little bit of room for them to make other moves so it was a little bit of a lukewarm extension but it still locks them in locks him in through 2022 so that's gonna he's gonna be the guy and with the season he had in 2019 I think that's justified he had a really good season he passed deep very well he was unbelievably accurate he limited mistakes which that last one is a really big thing for Kirk Cousins it was a good year and I think he earned a a little bit of extra leash what
3: are the expectations for him in this offense with Kevin Stefanski out and Gary Kubiak, who I know he had plenty of uh, a big role in that offense last year, but with him officially being named offensive coordinator.
5: Yeah, I, I think that's more of a, an in-title only thing. I think Kubiak and Stefanski were kind of a two-headed monster. It sounds like, and Stefanski's influence will definitely be missed. Uh, and Browns fans should, sorry to do this you, James Browns fans should be pretty happy with him. Um, but the, I think the, the Kubiak DNA was so deep in that offense. Then, if you ask any players, all the players don't feel like – I mean, you've got guys in there. Like, Kirk Cousins has had a new offensive coordinator, like, every year of his career. And even, even he says, like, wow, it's super nice to have some familiarity here. Like, it is definitely – it doesn't feel like – for the players they're trying to like get to know a new offense or anything i'm sure some of the play calling tendencies will adjust but it's definitely i I think the expectation should be that they can repeat the top 10 performance that they put up in 2019 anything else uh, below that is going to be a disappointment
3: will it be a disappointment you know if dalvin cook can't get his extension speaking of extensions
5: uh that one is a bit of a matter of debate <laughs> I would say. I listen, he's one of the best running backs in the league. I don't care if it makes me a homer. I think he's top 3 um and I think he deserves to be paid like a good running back, but I understand that from the team angle, you know, paying a running back is something that most people have kind of understood that like you don't really need to go get the premier quarterback. You don't, or the premier running back, you don't need a top three running back. You can get by with a top 18 running back and have more or less the same offense. And I think that's where the Vikings are at too. There is tons of distance between them right now. So they've completely broken off talks. I wouldn't expect any, any movement on this until after the season, if any at all. And if he does go to free agency, the Vikings just turn to Alexander Madison, who they're wildly high on and say, all right, you're the guy.
3: Luke Braun joining us from Locked On Vikings. Let's switch sides of the ball. Look at the defense and uh, trading for Yannick Ngakwe certainly grabbed the headlines. Do they obviously view him as a, a difference maker? How much of a difference is he going to make here for the Vikings in twenty twenty?
5: Oh yeah, it's it's gonna be huge. I mean, losing Everson Griffin. They had a Fadio Denningbo, who was I think was kind of primed to be a breakout player, but a guy who I think is going to be a breakout player isn't gonna be a guy who as good as a guy who already broke out. So he'll be able to add that pressure, add that edge pressure, take a little bit of uh, of pressure off of the cornerbacks because you know you're going to have to have tight ends and running backs chipping and stuff that means that offenses are going to kind of have to simplify if they can't just block the guy one-on-one and you can is somebody that you can't really block one-on-one um and i even talked to uh tony wiggins on my show about how excited we should be about it so that's going to definitely make a difference and then
3: one thing i i noticed and part of that's because uh I obviously host Locked On Bengals, but you guys let Trey Waynes go in free agency. I know you parted with Xavier Rhodes, Mackenzie Alexander as well. How is that secondary, especially the, the cornerback position? All, everybody knows about Harrison Smith, but that cornerback position, given all the turnover.
5: Yeah, so you've got elite safeties, right? You've got Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, who I would argue played better than Harrison Smith in 2019 sure. and would predict that he does so again, uh, but the corners are super young right? You've got Mike Hughes. He's going into his third year. Uh, he's going to play, I think, on the outside. And I, I have high hopes for him, but we haven't seen a lot because he's been kind of buried behind those uh, the the fixtures of Rhodes and Waynes and stuff. You've got Jeff Gladney, first round pick. Uh, he has the third cornerback spot right now. I think he'll play a lot of slots. So that's an unknown. He's young, but again, excited for the future. But who knows how it goes right off the bat. And Holton Hill, who's also going into his third year. You might not have heard much from him because he spent a ton of time suspending for marijuana-related problems and a PED problem that I kind of still think was a masking agent for the weed. Uh, so we'll see if there's an availability concern for him, but there's a ton up in the air. The thing is, all these guys had phenomenal camps. People could not stop raving about the cornerbacks in camp. So that kind of adds a little bit of optimism to what was the biggest question mark headed into the season. And behind them, the fourth guy is Cameron Dansler, who is a third-round rookie who had maybe the best camp of all of them. So these guys I, I will we'll see what happens when you get into a real game, but at least in practice, they've been looking phenomenal. And even Adam Thielen's been complaining, like these guys are giving him a hard time.
3: Well, I bet Mike Zimmer can coach him up. We're certainly familiar with him. Uh, Luke, final thing for you. What do you got uh, record-wise for the Vikings this season?
5: Well, right now their over/under is at nine, and I, I don't know where I stand on that. So I guess maybe there's there, there's your answer. I, I think that the whole <laughs> NFC North. I wouldn't be surprised if the whole NFC North doesn't produce a ten-win team this year. Um, all the teams took a step back in the NFC North. So and, and I mean we've all talked about it on our own like crossover stuff. Um, so I. I would go with like a nine and seven, but we'll, we'll revisit it. I think there's just too many problems along the line, the corners, while there's op- optimism, there's too much uncertainty, and they have kind of a murderer's row of quarterbacks all year and got a lot of backups last year. So I'm going nine and seven.
3: Luke, I appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon.
5: Thanks guys so much.
3: Let's keep things rolling here on locked on NFL with a look at the bears and Lauren Cox from locked on bears. Lauren, I think any time we're talking about the, the Chicago Bears, probably over the past six months, eight months, Mitch Trubisky comes up, certainly Nick Foles as well, since Chicago traded for him. Mitch won the starting job. Your thoughts on that, and do you expect him to be the starter for the whole season?
6: No, at this point, I don't expect Mitch Trubisky to finish the season as the Chicago Bears starter for one reason or another, whether it's injury or quality of play. You know, they, they brought in Nick Foles to have an open competition rather than, you know, bring in someone who would be more of a direct, clear upgrade. They sort of wanted Trubisky to have this last chance. They both got an equal number of reps in the preseason and training camp without preseason games. But Foles obviously comes in behind not having worked with the receivers before. He did have experience in this offense and with these coaches. But I have a feeling by the time we get to be, you know, halfway through this season, Foles will be a little bit more up to speed, and I think the way the Bears' schedule is shaping up, they'll be playing some pretty tough games around that time too. And it seems like a natural point in the narrative to switch quarterbacks.
2: There's a lot of pass rushers in that division, man. Does it help that uh, does it help Trubisky that he has a better better getaway car? Is what I call it. I used to say that about Blake Bortles. I said you know Foles is kind of a stationary guy. Mitch, you had a better getaway car behind the offensive line that the Bears has with Ngakwe, now Minnesota, those guys in in Green Bay running around last year, it probably helps Mitch's case that he can run a little bit and move around as opposed to being stationary.
6: Yeah, that was definitely one of his strengths, particularly early in his career. Defenses didn't quite have good answers for it. But part of the problem was last year we saw Mitch leave pockets too early and not be patient enough with those feet. And that was one of the things he was trying to work on this offseason and trying to make sure that – the mobility is truly a strength and doesn't end up being a crutch or something that holds him back a little bit more. So it's it's ironic in that sense that it, it's something he needs to work on controlling a little bit. But the Bears' offensive line also needs to be significantly better than it was last season they brought back four of the same five starters with former Seahawks first-round pick Jermaine Effetti now sliding in at right guard but they think new offensive line coach new offensive coordinator new running scheme some new pass protecting schemes that maybe that'll be enough to kind of take some of the young talent that they have and get them back on a positive development track
3: Lauren Cox of Locked On Bears joining us Lauren as far as the run game goes, I think if, if this offense is going to reach its full potential, regardless of who's at quarterback, they're going to have to get going. How much of that last year was the offensive line? How much of it was play calling? And then how much of it was the, the running backs themselves? Just, you know, David Montgomery specifically, just not having the success that some anticipated.
6: That's been the big offseason debate, uh, you know, definitely overshadowed by quarterback in Chicago. If there wasn't a quarterback controversy, that would be the main thing everyone would be talking about, you know, a lot of Bears fans want to pin it on one of those groups. And I think in reality, all three deserve a good share of the blame that yes, the running, the offensive line was not run blocking as consistently as they needed to. And there were too many times where defensive linemen and linebackers were able to penetrate in the backfield and make that contact at or behind the line of scrimmage where it doesn't matter what play call you called. And then the running backs are pretty well screwed at that point. There were also plenty of times when, David Montgomery either wouldn't take the right gap or wouldn't press the gap at the right angle and wouldn't be able to maximize the yards. Or sometimes Tariq Cohen, as explosive as he is, he always tries to make the home run play and get outside and try and, you know, try and create something that isn't always there. And he needs to take the yardage. And then there were games when, you know, Matt Nagy calls seven runs in an entire game and there's no flow or identity to this offensive running game. So all three need to be better and they're more or less running it back with the same people in all three roles. And it's, it's one of those things that all eyes are going to be on what's different with the same people there.
2: Lauren Cox with locked on bears, man, this is a crossroads year for them. You mentioned Matt Nagy, you know, everybody that leaves Andy Reed seems like they're having all of this success and he doesn't want to get passed up, you know, by the guy over in Indy. So a doink, kick off of a upright seems to really changed the trajectory of the bears uh they they look like they were on their way and then all of a sudden now nobody knows which direction they're going
5: yeah
6: the joint kick is a, a focal point there it's a good identification spot where you can look at this team and say yeah that's the thing but throughout all of that trubisky was struggling at times in 2018 that season even the first three quarters of that very Eagles game he had some really bad throws and it spoke to just how well everyone else around him was able to carry him so for me with Matt Nagy it it comes down to this quarterback position more than anything that he needs to either get more out of Trubisky than we've seen thus far or get something else in at quarterback so he can really truly be the offensive innovator that we saw in Kansas City but it feels like to some extent quarterback is holding him back and some of their other talent issues have held Nagy back and maybe he's been some to blame too in holding them back and not necessarily using all of their skill sets to their best advantage
3: last thing for you lauren what do you how do you have the bears finishing this
6: season this is a tough team to predict because there's a lot of gambles and a lot of what-ifs and a lot of things that if if everything goes right this could be a, a playoff contending team with some real firepower and if a lot of their gambles don't pay off they could be a, a pretty bad team, so I, I end up finding myself kind of back in the middle where they were last year, right around that seven to nine win range. But I end up coming back to about eight and eight when I look at the schedule.
2: Fair enough, man. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us here on Locked On NFL, Lauren. And I'm sure we'll talk to you throughout the season.
6: Hey, appreciate it. Anytime, guys.
2: All right, Lauren Cox, covering the Bears here for Locked On NFL, joining me Tony Wiggins and James Rapien on Locked On NFL. Man, let me tell you about the best tasting protein bar on the market. It is Built Bar. That's right, Built Bar. They have 18 fabulous flavors. Let me tell you about some of these flavors, man. You think normal flavors are like regular chocolate and all of that stuff? No. How about caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp? That's right. And they're packed with protein. More protein to help you stay in shape. More protein. It doesn't pack a lot of weight around your tummy. Therefore, you can eat them without a bunch of guilt and stay in shape. All you need to do is go to builtbar.com, order your built bars, and put in the promo code Locked On, and you'll get ten dollars off your first order. That's right, ten dollars off your first order by saying Locked On. And if you don't believe me, you just order them and you bring them around me and watch how fast I dig into that box and eat your built bars. It's built bars at builtbars.com. Promo code Locked On. Okay, as we continue to matriculate, as the great Hank Stram says, matriculate through the North and South, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, AFC North and the, and the NFC North, we're going to Baltimore, man, and talk to my boy, Old Striker. What up, Kev?
1: Hey, how you doing? It's, it's great to have football back. We're so close, and I'm so excited.
2: I know you are, man. I can hear it in your voice, man. Excited to be messing around with me with these computers today, too, man. I'm telling you, it's always something with me and these computers, man. What's going on with, uh, first of all, Earl Thomas. Earl Earl's out of town. Uh, that kind of surprised me a little bit. What's the mood of the team, and how does it look heading into the season?
1: Well, the Ravens are looking good. You know, you mentioned Earl Thomas. It was honestly a situation that kind, kind of reached its boiling point. You, you have a guy who, honestly, according to most reports and sources, it was kind of a panic move by Eric DaCosta and something you don't really see out of him. He's done a phenomenal job ever since taking over for Ozzy Newsome. But really, this all happened when the Browns signed Odo Beckham. You know, we can talk about Odo Beckham another time. But you, you look at it, the Ravens wanted somebody who they could combat Odo Beckham with, combat the Browns' offense with, because when, when that move was made, everybody was like, oh, the Browns won the Super Bowl. The, the Browns did this, the Browns did that. Well, the Ravens went out and made that move. Earl Thomas was skipping meetings. Was going to get his car washed during team time and punching teammates in practice and really didn't buy into the system. The Ravens have a really young safety by the name of Deshaun Elliott who, who absolutely has turned it on. And the issue with Elliott's his health. He's only played in six games over his first two years in the league. But you know, there's there's no denying the fact that Earl Thomas is a huge loss on defense, but with the Ravens adding Calais Campbell, they added Derek Wolf. they added Patrick Queen, their first round pick, their front seven looks much improved because they don't want that Derrick Henry train running through Baltimore again. That that was a disaster. The the playoff game against Tennessee was a disaster. But, but the spirit of the team right now is high. They, they know they have the MVP in Lamar Jackson. They know this offense is deadly. They added J.K. Dobbins to that makes Devin Duvernay James Prochet. It's not only, it's not only the, the offense that's going to be doing a good job, though. The defense is going to pick up this team, too, sometimes. When the offense struggles to score at points, because with every team, there is that. But the defense has guys now like Campbell. The secondary still has Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. Tavon Young, the best slot cornerback in the league, in my opinion, or at least one of them, is coming back. So the Ravens are geared up for a prime Super Bowl run this year. And honestly, I see multiple scenarios in the playoffs where Baltimore makes it the big game.
2: Yeah, me too. And the thing about it is, as we talked to Kevin O'Striker o- from Locked On Ravens, who covers the Baltimore. Uh, the thing is, man, is one, I'm never concerned about the culture in Baltimore because they're, they're known – Ever since Ozzie and now, you mentioned DaCosta's taken over, they're known for having a great culture. But we don't bury the lead here. They're talking about Lamar Jackson and decreasing those design runs. Does that mean, in your opinion, he won't be as dynamic this year? And what does that mean moving forward? Are we now going to see a a more improved Lamar in terms of sitting in the pocket? Do you think that will make him a bigger target? Or is it just the design runs won't be as much and he'll still be running around just like he used to?
1: I think the Ravens want to spread out this offense a bit more. They have the playmakers to do so. And Lamar Jackson was one of the best pocket passers in the league last season. I don't think he gets enough credit, you know, for what he, he's done as a passer over his first few years in the league. But the Ravens definitely do want to get rid of the design, not get rid of the design runs, but kind of take them down a notch because they know how good of a passer Lamar Jackson is. Part of the things that Lamar Jackson or a few of the things Lamar Jackson had to improve upon, during the offseason. he identified the deep ball is one of them and also throwing outside the hashes. But again, a lot of hard work from Jackson in the offseason, season, his teammate, his really best friend on the team, Hollywood Brown as well. Hollywood Brown was only playing at around 70% last season, maybe even a bit less because he had a screw at his foot and missed two games because of another leg injury. And he's come back, put on a ton of muscle. I expect him to be in the consideration for an a thousand yard here and the Ravens, they want to make sure that this offense is still as dynamic as possible. You kind of mentioned, well, will the offense be less dynamic? I think we'll see a bit more passing from this Ravens offense because they now have the weapons to do so. Lamar Jackson was working with pretty much Hollywood Brown last year, right? They had Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst, obviously, come gonna contribute as well. But this year they expect a big second-year jump from Miles Boykin. They have Duvernay and Prochet, as I mentioned. Willie Sneed is in there as well. So I think that Baltimore's actually, you know, they're going to move more towards a passing offense. But that in no way means that Lamar Jackson isn't going to run the football anymore because that's a part of his game. It's what makes him so good along with the passing that, again, I don't think people give him enough credit for. Well,
2: there you go, Kevin O'Striker. Look, one thing, the things the Baltimore was known for. Defense, they're known for defense. They're known to have pass rushes. They're going to have pass rushes. Tight ends, it seems like they got 35 of them. Every time you turn around, they got tight ends catching the ball. And crab cakes, man. I love those crab cakes up in Baltimore and Old Bay season, of course, all of that stuff. So, Kevin O'Striker just broke it down for us. Baltimore is going to be right back in the thick of things this year in the AFC North, and I would not be surprised if they make it to the Super Bowl. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thanks a lot.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Tony, for having me on.
3: Let's keep things rolling here on Locked On NFL as our AFC North preview continues, and let's bring in. My co-host of Locked On Bengals, Jake Lisko. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Jake underscore NFL. Jake, we talk every single day about the Bengals, so I'm going to ask you some questions that uh, I certainly know the answers to, but our our Locked On NFL listeners don't. Uh, Let's start with Joe Burrow. What are your impressions of him? What did you think about him during training camp, and how do you think he's going to start uh, this year, given everything that's going on?
0: Well, he is a rookie. Right. So there's always rookie learning curves to worry about. But Joe Burrow is a guy that. And, I, and I'm a cynic, so let's let's put the con the context out there for the Lockdown NFL listeners. You've heard me before. If you listen to every episode of Lockdown NFL, I've been on the show before. I am the less optimistic host of Lockdown Bengals between myself and James. <laughs> that being said. I am very hopeful for Joe Burrow. I think he is a guy that has the it factor that the Bengals have never had before, or maybe you go back to Boomer, maybe you go back to Ken Anderson. Maybe one of those guys had it the way Joe Burrow seems to have it. The praise he's drawn from his teammates in very specific ways, both on and off the field, both in terms of his ability to process and adjust the offense pre-snap, the ability to manipulate the defense post-snap, his leadership in the locker room, just on Monday night, Mackenzie Alexander tweeting praise for his quarterback, love for his quarterback as a new player to the team, and all of that speaks volumes to me more than anything else could. That the amount of respect and praise he's drawing from his teammates on both sides of the ball.
3: I think the main concern when it comes to Joe Burrow. Isn't really Joe Burrow from a national perspective. Everyone pretty much knows the Bengals offensive line and how bad it's been over the past four years. Has it improved at all? And what
0: should fans expect this season? Has it improved at all? Yes. Has, has all of the positions improved? No. And, and so when you ask if the unit has improved, obviously everyone in Cincinnati is expecting Jonah Williams to be a day one upgrade over what the Bengals played at left tackle last year. Here's who the Bengals played at left tackle last year while Cordy Glenn didn't play. Uh, There was Andre Smith, who is still in the NFL. He he was a long time ago a first-round draft pick by the Bengals, but never really played left tackle until Jim Turner took over the offensive line coaching for the Bengals. They also had John Jerry, a career guard who had been out of the NFL for a year, come back and make starts at left tackle. They had an undrafted free agent that they got midway through the year from Pittsburgh play at left tackle, and he was actually pretty good. That's Fred Johnson. But none of those guys are Jonah Williams. That's where it improves. Now, the rest of the positions, you can start to have questions about. Mike Jordan, the left guard, needs to take a step. Trey Hopkins, the center, was solid last year. Xavier Suafilo, a career backup for the most part or at least lately in his career comes in and he's going to start at right guard and right tackle is still Bobby Hart. And, and that is certainly a question mark to put it lightly. Let's switch sides of the ball. Look at the defense
3: and Jake Lisko of locked on Bengals is joining us. The Bengals added multiple pieces in free agency, DJ reader, Trey Waynes, who unfortunately is injured and expected to miss most of the season, but they signed Josh Bonds, Von Bell, and really tried to add to an awful group from a year ago. They drafted three linebackers as well. How much better is this defense going to be this season?
0: That is a very good question. It certainly starts up front. The defensive line should be one of the better units in the league with DJ Reader, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, Carl Lawson being the headliners. They, of course, go sign Mike Daniels as well. He is a very good reserve, and he'll probably get – a lot of starts in the Bengals' base 3-4 as well. But the big difference to me is the linebacker position, where last year Jordan Evans was listed as a starter. Listed as a starter on the depth chart. On Tuesday, the Bengals' first official depth chart of 2020 came out, and he's the sixth guy. He was, he was on the fringe, so he goes from being a starter, listed as a starter last year, he only played 70-some-odd snaps on defense. But the fact that there's five guys now ahead of him really speaks to the overhaul they made at that particular position. I think they've gotten better at tackling. They should be better in run defense. I think they've gotten a little bit more athletic across the board. And the defense will miss Trey Waynes, I think, a little bit in terms of consistency, but should take some steps in some specific areas in 2020. All right, Jake, last thing from me. The Bengals are improved. They have a new quarterback, a bunch of new faces. What do you expect them to finish with record-wise this season? Well, anybody that has listened to me talk before knows that I am not in the prediction business, and you know that I am not in the prediction business, so I appreciate what you're trying to do here. I see them as probably a 5-8 to eight win team this year. I think there are some fringe chances where, where they go a little bit higher. I don't really see them skewing much lower, though, from from probably a 5-win mark, just because that would be normal regression from the amount of one-score games they had in 2019. Way to dodge it, Jake. I appreciate the time. All
2: right, we're moving right up north, going up into Pittsburgh to talk to Chris Carter, the man I call the counselor. How you doing, Chris?
7: Doing great. How you been, at?
2: Man, I've been doing all right, man. You know, long days, long days. Uh, We all trying to take care of each other through these difficult times, but at least toe will meet leather this weekend, and we'll have some football. And uh, it's been a while since we've seen seen Ben Roethlisberger. I asked you a little while ago when we were talking, and you were telling me that Big Ben has a little something extra on that ball now. And at first we were a little bit worried about him, but you say he's been looking pretty good at training camp.
7: Yeah, in training camp, everything's been A-OK with Ben. And, and not even A-OK, but, like, grade A. They're saying that his arm's actually stronger than it was before. What people don't realize and what was revealed in the uh, Bigger Than Ben documentary on the on YouTube, which you can watch right now for free, um, it was revealed that he's had a vertical tear in the, in the tendons that go to his, his throwing elbow for years now and that he's just been playing through it and that what happened last year was that they had a horizontal tear through three of them that just tore them clear off which is why he needed the surgery but there's questions as now as he may have had one or two of those tendons clearly ripped through before that and just been playing through them and it was just that that third one just got ripped through against Seattle so Big Ben's always been known for being tough and it seems like that's you know he's he's come through that. Now he's talked about how he sees the offense a lot differently now because he sat a whole year on the sidelines and understood a little bit more of what was happening. And so th- this might be a different version of Ben Roethlisberger than we've ever seen, which is really intriguing and a lot of the, the Steelers on offense and defense are noting like hey, the ball's zipping and this guy's a little bit different now.
2: Man, you know, it it might be cliche to say this, and, and you know, it, it it sometimes sounds like hyperbole. But last year absolutely might have been Mike Tomlin's best coaching job, even though he's won a Super Bowl before. Last year, they were down at the third string quarterback. And they had so many injuries. James Conner got hurt. And, of course, is the first ballot Hall of Famer with a bullet. And, dude, they they were very, very close at the end to really making the playoffs if some things had really gone their way, I thought Tomlin did a fabulous job last year, considering all the injuries that that, that football team had.
7: Let me tell you, man, the vultures were circling Mike Tomlin. I'm telling you that the, there's a lot of people here in Pittsburgh, unfortunately that want him gone, even when he does well. And, uh, what you saw was right when Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. I remember one reporter specifically telling me, Hey, this is it, they're done, they're finished. Like, they were kind of like happy to see that Tom was going to have a rough year, but they never did. And they went eight and six with, with, without Ben Roethlisberger. And, and not to, not to nitpick, but when you say a third string quarterback, people forget that Devlin Hodges was cut from the team. <laughs> he was, he's the fourth string quarterback. The only reason he came back was because. One week into the season they lost a tight end so they traded away Josh Dobbs to get a fifth round pick which they would later use to get another tight end to add for depth but they thought that they wouldn't need need a third string quarterback because Mason Rudolph won the second quarterback spot so now you're talking about you know, you're talking about a guy Devlin Hodges who was just on the team as a camp arm in in training camp being the starter he started six games they went three and three with him and and I don't think there was a worse quarterback out there. Like, honestly, Nathan Nathan Peterman might have been a better option than Melvin Hodges. And they did that with him? You're absolutely right. That could be his most most effective coaching job because he rallied a team with so many problems on it and without an offense that could be led by anything. Um, It it should be – and he really, again, the Vultures were circling. They kind of had to at least slow down or back off for a bit because it's like, well – if, if you said that, that Ben Roethlisberger was the reason that the team was winning, well, that, 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 that was disproven because Mike Tomlin now enters, I think, what's his 14th season in the, in, in the NFL, and he still hasn't had a losing season.
2: Real quick, I'm going to go over the defense. I love defenses that have great players at each level. You have Cam Hayward, who just signed a big deal. I think he's one of the top three defensive tackles in the National Football League. Of course, you have Watt. If you if you consider T.J., I consider him a linebacker, even though he plays up close to the line of scrimmage. And then my man Minka. I thought, you know, a lot, a lot of people thought, like, what are they giving up a first-round pick for this dude for? Minka Fitzpatrick is, is like an all-pro level at free safety. So you got great players at each individual level, and I think the Pittsburgh Steelers have a lot to look forward to this year.
7: Yeah, don't forget also, Stephon Tuit, who's coming back from injury, through six games before he got hurt, he was looking like the best player on defense last year. And that's saying a lot with Cam Hayward, T.J. Watt, and Minka Fitzpatrick all being first-team all-pro last year on defense. Uh, this Stephon this, this, Tewitt's back, which means the front four of the Steelers is Tewitt, Hayward, Watt, and Dupree. Wow. Dupree, who also got double-digit sacks last year, they're loaded up front. If they can stay healthy – they're gonna be in a situation where this team is, might lead the NFL in sacks for a fourth consecutive year. They've led it for three years, which has never been done in the history of the NFL. They're on a pace to do something crazy. Devin Bush is playing at another level now. He led the NFL, he led, he led the Steelers in in tackles last year. No rookie had had done that since Kendrell Bell and his 105 tackles, I believe it was, might have been 109. I might be mixing that up. But they were. That's among among the best that in the Kevin Colbert era, the Steelers general manager. And like you said, Mike Fitzpatrick. Not only is it the interceptions he brings, but it's the confidence he gives to Joe Hayden and Stephen Nelson and Mike Hilton and the Steelers cornerbacks to jump passes Hayden said I now know that a guy's got my back back there you know and and on top of that they just got back Sean Davis who was the free safety before he got injured and Minka took over so now you have a guy for depth back there who can back up Minka Fitzpatrick you still have a young and improving Terrell Edmonds on top of a pair of cornerbacks Joe Hayden and Stephen Nelson who are one is if you put them together they're one of the best pairs in the NFL this defense is loaded they're ready to go They, they look healthy if they are healthy for the season This could legitimately be the the number one defense in the NFL.
2: All right, make your closing argument real quick. Chris, give me your record. What do you think the prediction is for the record and where they'll go for the postseason?
7: I'm going 12-4. and They'll win the two seed, and they'll lose to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. I think that's going to be a tough game. Uh, I think it's going to be a close one. But ultimately, I think this is a a statement here. You know, a lot of people are saying that Baltimore still runs the AFC North, which they do. But no team has ever won the AFC North three years in a row. Baltimore's run it twice. I think that reign's going to be done. They're missing Earl Thomas. They're missing their guard, Marshall Yonda. That's gonna, those are two huge superstars that were that, that were on their team last year. They're off their team now, and they don't have answers to fill those in. The Steelers are getting back Ben Roethlisberger, back Stefan to it. Devlin Hodges almost beat Lamar Jackson last year. Like that's people don't 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 remember that. And I think that that's a sign that they're about to take over the AFC North. Um, and uh, you know, in the playoffs, I think they do well. But Patrick Mahomes is still a dangerous man. I have a hard time betting against him in a big game.
2: Well, there you go, man. I'll I tell you what. I won't bet against you, man. You're my brother from another mother, man, and I do appreciate you. And, uh, of course, we'll talk to you at some point during the season, Chris. Thank you for everything, man, and good luck to you. Thank you. All right. Okay, my brother. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks, man.
7: Not a problem, man. Anytime.
2: All right, homie. All right. All right, as we continue to trek through the NFC North and the AFC North here, on locked on nfl i got my man my friend my buddy jeff lloyd from locked on browns and if anybody knows what it's like to go through a little bit of controversy and some winless seasons it's jeff and they turned it around and had high expectations last year in cleveland didn't quite live up to it jeff how you doing man
8: we're good we're good uh you know i think it's uh it's it's you know a long process to get here for everybody um but you know the realization that we're like five days away and obviously two days away from thursday night um you know, great on the players, great on the league for putting together a plan. Everybody's sticking to it, and it looks like we're going to be back in business here. You know, officially in like
2: 48 hours or so. Weird uh, season last year, one coach, one year, uh, in over his head, if you will. Uh, a lot of weird stuff. Uh, changed coaches. Hopefully, it'll be good for the quarterback, Baker Mayfield. What's expected of him? And and uh, you know, people they picked Baker because people thought that Baker could really handle the whole Cleveland, you know, mystique and, and, and being in that city, how's he handled that? Has he, has he handled that? Or is he starting to show little, little chips in in his, you know, in his, uh, if you will, in his demeanor, that's going to allow him to probably start melting down if things don't turn around.
8: I think, you know, year one, obviously he became the darling of this city. Year two, as things started to rapidly go downhill and, you know, everybody had their issues. Obviously he was going to fall on the quarterback Baker Mayfield, but Odell injured, Jarvis injured, Miles um, Garrett ended up getting suspended for the final six games of the season. You know, what was a season that was built on promise, um, faded and uh, darkened <laughs> rather quickly. Um, but Baker, he's, he's different this year. And I think the thing we notice is, and there was a lot of talk about him going into, like, every Zoom meeting. Like, if he wasn't with the quarterbacks, he wasn't with the offensive coordinator, he was jumping in running back meetings. He was jumping in wide receiver meetings. And we see what we've seen from camp. Like where there is, and this has been the biggest thing, is, yeah, you can do all this learning. But it's a big difference when you actually get it out on the grass and you try to assemble a play. And, you know, yes, the footwork may call for this, but then you realize where the coverage is and maybe you have to cut a route shorter or run it a little deeper. And we've seen a lot of this where there's been incompletions and Baker going over to said receiver and saying, you know what, well, this is kind of where I figured you should have been. You know, this is the way you ran it. Let's work on this. And there's been a lot more communication. I think it was probably good for Baker Mayfield, this whole pandemic thing, because once you start to struggle a little bit and you play in a major city, anything you do or anywhere you go, people are going to just find that reason to basically continue to, you know, keep the fire going under your feet. Wasn't really able to do much. None of us were. So it's not like he was really going out too much because there wasn't the opportunity to. And I think it's really probably made it an easier season for him Obviously, he still understands the pressure is here and the expectations, uh, you know, for what this front office has put together in the offseason as far as a roster. And you know, year three, this is the year for you know quarterbacks. You know, you don't get it done in year three. This is when folks start maybe kind of looking behind you or over you as to say, man, maybe we're on to the next guy. So big, crucial
2: year. But I do think Baker Mayfield is absolutely ready for it. A couple more questions here with uh, Jeff Lloyd with Locked On Browns. We saw Hugh Jackson. We saw Freddie Kitchens. Who's Kevin Stefanski? And what does he bring to the table? And how will that affect uh, whether we see guys swinging helmets at people and and all of the chirping that we've seen in the past on hard knocks? How will he have an effect on the Cleveland Browns in a positive way and change the outward attitude of the football team?
8: Kevin has been around special sports his entire life. His father right now currently is a member of the Detroit Pistons front office. So, you know, to make the maturation and the process to get to be a head coach in the NFL wasn't a big surprise. I mean, he knows how the game works. You think about his time in Minnesota. He was there for three different head coaches working his way up the ladder. Usually don't stick around with an organization that long. And you know, with different head coaches. They, they just bring in their own people. But he was continually able to impress and work his way up the ladder. I think what we like is he's just – it's nothing flashy. He's not looking to make a headline. He's certainly not looking to sell a T-shirt. You ask him questions, he gives his honest answers. He has his players' backs. I think he has been one of the better head coaches in the league as far as you know, everything that's going on you know, with racial diversity and trying to get these players on the same page and understanding, hey, we're going to shut up, and we're going to listen, and we're going to work together to map this team as a more unified unit. Yes, you're a team. You should work in unison. But deep down inside, there's some you know, feeling that people need to get squared away and have you know, feeling equal to everyone else within that room. I think because he's younger, I do think because they have a younger GM, Andrew Barry, who obviously is black, I think the working process there of everybody trying to be on the same page as far as people – is what's hopefully going to translate to on-field success, understanding that if they're unified in all they do, it should hopefully lead to some Ws.
2: Well, you heard it first here from Jeff Lloyd. Jeff, you know, we'll talk during the season, man. Thank you for joining uh, joining us here on Locked on NFL. Good luck to the Browns uh, for the 2020 season. All the best to you, buddy.